0: All right, so so during the election season at around the year two thousand and eight, the people of the U.S. were preparing to elect a new president, and in January twentieth, two thousand and nine, Barack Obama became our forty fourth president. But if you can remember what went on during that time, you'll remember that one of the biggest uh, buzzwords that the Obama campaign used during that election season was the word change. You remember that? And so throughout the city and neighborhoods, you would see the car bumper stickers that would say the word change as part of the slogan that summarized uh, Barack Obama's campaign and what he was all about. Uh, and so, to be quite honest, I think that slogan change was a very successful one uh, because it spoke to the majority of the people in this country. People wanted a change. Um, a- another popular poster for the Obama campaign was the word hope. And so, again, this too spoke to the American people because it hit at the very root of what the people were feeling towards the future of our society. They were feeling hopeless, and so they wanted hope and change. Now, I'm not here to talk about politics, but what I do want to point out um, is something that should have been very obvious to Christians during that time of the election. And what should have been very obvious is that deep within every human being lies a desire to be led into a direction of progress, right? We are all hoping for a better tomorrow. Even in the smallest things, we have a sense of dissatisfaction and feel that there's got to be more to life than this. And so we make messiahs out of people that we look up to in hopes that they would have the answers to our fallenness, um, and so we see that we all want a leader. We all will, we all look towards the next president to lead us into um, you know a better future. And so leadership is very important. and it's important at home, right? It's important in the workplace with our managers. And leaders are important for churches and for cities and for countries. And this is what the book of Judges is basically all about. The term Judges in this book is synonymous with the word leaders. Now, the book of Judges is a historical account of the leaders of Israel during the time in the land that God had promised them. But a few things that I hope remains clear about the book of Judges are mankind's need for a perfect leader or a perfect judge, or a king. And also, I hope that through the book of Judges, you'll also see the kind of real change and the real hope that mankind actually needs, which the Obama administration, or any other presidential administration, can never actually provide. And so as we go through this new series of the book of Judges, my hope is that you would see how incredibly Christocentric this Old Testament book is. Um, Today will be the introduction of this series, and I'll be surveying the book of Judges and discussing the overall message. And next week, we'll go ahead and begin with chapters one uh, and go into chapter two, verse by verse. But uh, for today, I want to break up the book of Judges in four main summary points. Point number one, and you'll see this in your handouts. Point number one, how the people of God responded to God's blessing. Point number two, how the people of God responded to God's punishment. Point number three, God uses imperfect judges. And point number four, what the people of God ultimately needed. Okay, so we're going to go through these points that pretty much summarizes uh, the book of Judges. So let's look at point number one. How the people of God responded to God's blessing. Now, before anything, I want to give you a brief background on the context of this book. This is one of the Old Testament historical books where you would have a historical account about God's people, Israel, And this book covers about two to four centuries of history, and it ends at approximately 1050 B.C. And if you remember how Israel became a nation of God, these were a people promised to Abraham by God to be a nation who would be blessed and inherit a promised land. And at first they grew out of slavery in Egypt, but God uses Moses to rescue them and lead them into this land where they would be a free people for God, just as they were promised. Now, the account in Judges takes place after the Exodus, and after Moses passes away. Let's look back to the book of Joshua, to get the context of where Judges begins. Let's look at Joshua 1, verses 1-9. through Okay, it says here, From the wilderness and this Lebanon, Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river of Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea towards the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life, just as I was with Moses. So I bring, I'm sorry. So I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. so that you may be clear to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Okay, so there we see the mission of the Israelites under the leadership of Joshua, which was the main, I'm sorry, which was the man... That God chose to succeed or come after Moses as Israel's leader. So, what were the promises that God makes with Joshua and his people? We see here in verse 6 it says, Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. So, there we see the promise. Now, in light of that promise, God gives them commands to obey. You see in verse 7 and 8 saying, Only be strong and be very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. So God is basically saying, Look, I've saved you. You are a people that I have blessed and made you mine. You have done nothing at all, right, to deserve this blessing, yet I'm giving you these promises of the land. I won't depart from you, you know. I will be your God and you will be my people. And yet the only thing I ask from you is that you would obey me to be careful to do according to my law. Now, if we think about it, is that too much... For God to ask for? I mean, doesn't the creator of the universe deserve to be obeyed by everyone? Especially Israel? Uh, after all, God went out of his way to save Israel from slavery, and he would have been completely just in leaving them in that slavery. And and it it should make us think about ourselves why should God have have to give me or you any kind of favor? let alone eternal salvation through Jesus Christ, right? And then, if you think about when we struggle with issues at work, or issues in family, or even health, is God obligated to relieve you from these issues? No. We know that God owes us nothing, right? Yet, in the beginning of this book, in the book of Judges, God is blessing Israel as he had promised to do. And he delivered them from the bondage of Egypt, Right He brings them out of the wilderness, he parts the Jordan River, he led them into victory under Joshua and the whole of Canaan, right north and south and uh look, let's look at what it says in judges two verse one it says now the angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bachem, and he said, "I brought you up from Egypt, and I brought you into the land that I swore to give to your fathers." I said, I will never break my covenant with you. Right? So here here we see God expressing his blessing and faithfulness to his people. Now, in the following verse, in verse 2, he uh, is forbidding the people to make other covenants of their own. Let's look at it. It says, And you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land, you shall break down their altars. And then look what it says here. It says, but you have not obeyed my voice. What is this that you have done? And so all of a sudden the tone changes. And you see God is confronting his people. Because even though he had blessed them. How did they respond? They all responded by sinning against them. And this is a key theme throughout the book of Judges. It's It seems to be common with Israel that when things are going right they would forget God and become an idolatrous people. Now, when you read this, many of us might have that tendency to think, man, were the Israelites hard-headed? But the reality is that we here in the 21st century have this same issue, right? The Lord bestows many blessings upon us. And all of us here are sinners, right, and deserve to be punished for all eternity. Yet, instead of giving God his due worship, we often worship creature rather than creator. You may may be saying to yourself, I don't bow down to any creature or graven images, but in reality, whenever we value anything, whether it's entertainment or family or job or relationships more than God, We're actually giving it the place of God in our lives. And this is idolatry. And it's usually evident in a person, not by what they tell you, right? No one's going to confess their idolatry. And sometimes we don't even notice it. But we know this when you see the priorities of people, right? Or even ourselves, the priorities of ourselves. And when it comes to showing gratitude towards our God and being obedient to him, we often have a tendency to forsake God and disobey him. And this is exactly what we see with Israel in uh, this verse here in Judges 2, 11. Let's read it. It says, And and the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. Now notice how in verse 11 it describes sin by saying that they did what was evil, evil in the sight of the Lord. And this is important because it shows us that what makes something a sin is not at all based on what we think should be or should not be considered bad, right? But rather what God says is bad. In other words, it's not up to us to decide what is sin or what is not sin. God has already established his law and what is wrong and right, and he's the authority. And we see in Judges that the people of God are warned first not to break his covenant. And we know that God had given the people many warnings before. For example, in the first giving of the law, God commands the people, You shall have no other gods before me. And he also commanded them in Exodus 20, verses 3 and 4. Uh, He says, "You You shall not make yourselves an idol. And even in the second giving of the law, as an older Moses prepares the people to enter the promised land, God tells the people through Moses what they will specifically have to do in order to keep these first two commandments. Uh, You see this in Deuteronomy 7, verses 1 through 6. Uh, Let's read that. It says, When the Lord your God brings you into the land that you are entering to take possession of it, and clears away many nations before you, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Parasites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, seven nations more numerous and mightier than you, and when the Lord your God gives them over to you and you defend them, then you must devote them to complete destruction, You shall make no covenant with them and show no mercy to them. You shall not intermarry them, giving your daughters to their sons, or taking their daughters for your sons, for they would turn away your sons from following me to serve other gods. Then it says, Then the anger of the Lord would be kindled against you, and he would destroy you quickly. But thus, Shall you deal with them? You shall break down their altars and dash in pieces their pillars and chop down their asherim and burn their carved images with fire. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to become, I'm sorry, to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. So, in other words, the Israelites were to completely destroy those in the land. Otherwise, they would end up influencing them to fall into their idolatry along with them, causing them to all sin against the Lord. So, going back to the worksheet in front of you, uh, the main question of point number one is, uh, how did the people of God respond to God's blessing? Well... All is well in the first 19 verses, but by the time you get to verse 21 to 33 of the first chapter, it tells us how they failed to obey God by not driving out the inhabitants of the land as God commanded them to do. And we have what we see in Judges 2 8 uh, through 13. Actually, I'm sorry, uh, Judges 2 12 through 13, which says this. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed down to them, and they provoked the Lord to anger. They abandoned the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. And so again, uh, if they would have listened to God and what he had commanded by driving out these people um, and removing from the land the uh, idolatry that was there uh, they would have been a a people pure in peace with God and they would be raising up generations right they would have children and raise up generations that would honor God instead of these um, idols that were set in the culture of the people that were already there But by not removing them and obeying what God had commanded, they ended up mixing in these people. And by the time the second generation um, were in this land, they would have already forgotten the Lord God and have already mixed in with pagan worship and bowing down to gods that was not Yahweh, um, the the true God of Israel. And so again, we see what we read here in verse 12, that they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt, and they went after other gods. So this is how the people of God responded to God's blessings. Instead of responding in worship and and faithful obedience, they responded by forgetting God and sinning against him. Now let's look at point number two uh, that you see here in the worksheet. Point number two, how the people of God responded to God's punishment. So throughout the book of Judges, the people of God seem to live in this cycle before the Lord. We start with Joshua as their leader. And for a while the people were living at peace under his rule. They obeyed the commandments of God and therefore God was blessing them. But after Joshua dies of old age, the people are left without a ruler. And that's where they begin to forget the Lord. They slip back into idolatry and living like pagans. And God is not indifferent to his people's sin. And he acts against their sin for the sake of his name. And the punishment that we see described in chapter 2 pretty much summarizes what we see throughout the whole book. Let's read what it says in Judges two, fourteen through fifteen. <clears throat> it says so the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he gave them over to plunderers who plundered them, and he sold them into the land. I'm sorry, he sold them into their hand of their surrounding enemies, so that they could no longer withstand their enemies. Whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them for harm, as the Lord warned. And as the Lord had sworn to them, and they were in terrible distress. So, in, in God punishing them, it almost seems as if God is joining with the enemies in order to bring distress upon Israel. Even though we know that the enemies also were sinners and, and idolaters as well. Yet God does this to his people as a way to give them over to their destruction. Now most importantly, this means or this means of punishment was not only to repay Israel for their disobedience, but the goal of God punishing them in this way was to eventually bring them into repentance, right And, and this is a repeated story throughout the book. They are first blessed and at peace with God. And then, of course, they forget God, then they sin against him, then God punishes them, and eventually they cry out in repentance, and the Lord delivers them through a new ruler or a new judge that he raises up. Now, I'm going to show you a few verses that show this repeated cycle of sin and punishment. So, first, God uses the Arameans from Mesopotamia for Israel's punishment. And you see that in Judges three seven through eight, that reads, "And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and they forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and the Asheroth. Therefore, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he sold them into the hands of the hands of the Cushan Rishathayim, king of Mesopotamia. And the people of Israel served Cushan Rishathayim eight years." Okay, so that's, that's one verse that shows uh, this cycle of sin and punishment. And God gives him over to the Arameans from Mesopotamia. But then later on, you see the same act again happening. Uh, you know, where Israel rebels against God and just does evil in the sight of the Lord. And so God uses the Moabites for Israel's punishment. You see that in Judges three, twelve to 14 which says, And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord strengthened Elgon, Elglon, the king of Moab, against Israel, because they had done what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He gathered to himself the Ammonites and the Amalekites, and went and defeated Israel, and they took possession of this, the city of Palms. And the people of Israel served Eglon, the king of Moab, 18 years. So, again, you see the same thing. They did evil against the Lord. And so, God uses the Moabites for Israel's punishment. Again, you see God using the Canaanites for punishing Israel. Uh, you see that in Judges 4 1 through 3, saying, Saying, And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud died. And the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Caesarea, who lived in Harosheth Hagogim. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help. So you see the same thing happen again. And again... God uses the Midianites for the same thing. Judges 6, 1-6 says, The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hand of the Midian seven years. And the hand of Midian overpowered Israel, and because of Midian, the people of Israel made for themselves the dens that are in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. For whenever the Israelites Israelites planted crops, the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. They would encamp against them and devour the produce of the land as far as Gaza, and leave no sustenance in Israel and no sheep or ox or donkey. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents. They would come like locusts in numbers. Both they and their camels could not be counted. So that they laid waste the land as they came in and Israel was brought very low because of Midian and the people of Israel cried out for help to the Lord. So again, people of Israel keep disobeying God. They keep forgetting the Lord going back to their idolatry and God has to continue to use, uh, the, the lands and the people that were enemies to Israel. Um, and and He would give Israel into their hands and they would suffer distress under them. And this was a way that God was punishing them because they continued to re, uh, repeat this cycle of disobedience. Uh, again, you see God used the Ammonites to punish Israel. In Judges 10, 6-9, it's saying here, The people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals and the Ass. Ashtaroth, the gods of Syria, the gods of Sidon, the gods of Moab, the gods of the Ammonites, and the gods of the Philistines. And they forsook the Lord and did not serve him. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he sold them into the hands of the Philistines and into the hands of the Ammonites. And they crushed and oppressed the people of Israel that year. For eighteen years they oppressed all of the people of Israel. Who were beyond the Jordan in the land of the Amorites, which was in Gilead. And the Ammonites crossed the Jordan to fight also against Judah and against Benjamin and against the house of Ephraim, so that Israel was very I'm sorry, so that Israel was severely distressed. Now, as Reformed Christians, it's not too difficult to see and understand. God punishing Israel for their disobedience. But it's interesting to see that it is not until they suffer through these punishments that they all of a sudden start to reconsider their ways. And what we see in this vicious cycle of Israel's history is that when they do face great distress, they end up repenting. And here's some verses that show this. Judges 3.15 under the Moabite rule, we read here, it says, then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. You see that's uh, showing that they finally repented. You see under the Canaanite rule, the same thing. uh, In Judges 4.3 it says, then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help. Again, under the Midianites, we see in Judges 6, 6, it says, And Israel was brought very low because of Midian, and the people of Israel cried out for help to the Lord. And under the Ammonites, we see what we see in Judges 10, verses 10 through 16. It says, And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, saying, We have sinned against you, because we have forsaken our God and served the Baals. And the Lord said to the people of Israel, Did I not save you from the Egyptians and from the Amorites and from the Ammonites and from the Philistines? The Sidonians also and the Amalekites and the Maonites oppress you, and you cry out to me, and I have saved you out of their hands. Yet you have forsaken me and served other gods. Therefore, I will save you no more." Go and cry out to the gods whom you have chosen, and let them save you in the time of distress. (laughs) And the people of Israel said to the Lord, We have sinned. Do to us whatever seems good to you. Only please deliver us this day. And so they put away the foreign gods from among them and served the Lord. And so again, this pattern is consistent. God blesses the people, they respond in sinning. He punishes them, and they respond in repentance. Now, even though this book is historical, there's so much that we can see from Israel's pattern that is identical to our spiritual pattern. It shows us the reality that if we were to be left to ourselves, we too would constantly abandon God and fall away, right? See, we naturally have a tendency to go back to evil and wickedness all the time. And our natural inclination is that which is against God. This is why you see little children and, and how they don't have to be taught how to disobey. They already know how to. And it always seems to be the best option for them in their own mind. Unless we, like parents interrupt these inclinations with punishment and discipline. Likewise, if you are born again, if you're a Christian here, God may often remind you of His Lordship with many forms of discipline. But we who have the Spirit of God should always seek to live in obedience to Him. And any form of discipline that we receive from God is merely an act of grace to keep us in communion with our Lord. And we ought to be thankful for that. However, we learn through this example of Israel that mankind is always falling away from God. And if we fast forward to the New Testament, these events with Israel ought to serve as a pointer to the true Israelite, Jesus Christ, who never fails God's commands. Jesus was sinless and faithful to the end. And if not for his obedience working on our behalf, we too, like Israel, would be given over to our destruction. Yet, in Christ, we are counted as faithful. Thanks be to God. Now, this leads me to the next point. Um, You can see in your handout, point number three, that God uses imperfect judges. So after facing punishment and finally coming to repentance, we see that God would hear Israel's cry of repentance and God would send a judge or a leader to lead them back to a state of peace. And so throughout this book, you'll see 12 of them. You'll see Deborah, Gideon, Jephthah, Samson, Othniel, Ehud, Shamgar. Tola, Jair, Ilbzan, Elon, and Abdon. And all these judges come from various tribes working regionally and deliver Israel from various enemies. And it is God that raises up these deliverers for the people as they need them. And yet we see that each deliverer only delivers the people of Israel temporarily, right? Notice that after each judge dies, the people slip back into their ways. And this shows us that every human leader, even with great ability and wisdom, they too have limitations. Once these men or women die, it was over. right? Let's look at this passage in Judges 2.19. Judges 2.19, it says, But whenever the judge died, they turned back and were more corrupt than their fathers, going after other gods, serving them and bowing down to them. They did not drop any of their practices or their stubborn ways. So, even though many of these leaders were faithful and helpful, the judges were not enough right there weren't enough in and of themselves, so this tells us a lot right first of all we we ought to be thankful for all the good gifts that we get from god right we we ought to be thankful for all the leaders that God sends in our lives, you know leaders and pastors who care for us spiritually and invest in us greatly, so we ought to be thankful in many ways for for them and for um even for the restrictions and policies that we have that are coming from our government, or at least some of them, right? And and these policies that keep society in order. You know, we ought to be thankful for these means of grace, if you will, that serve for our good, um, especially the leaders that uh, God puts in our lives. But, But here's the point. None of these things can replace God himself, right? And this was the point that we see in this repeated cycle that Israel was in. We see that mankind is desperately wicked and they constantly rebel against God. But we also see that even though many judges came and served in their term, none was able to ultimately solve man's greatest dilemma, which was this problem of sin. And so as we go more throughout this teaching series, throughout the book of Judges, I pray that as you see this cycle of judges that God sends to deliver His people, that you would begin to see how it relates to our need for an ultimate judge who would rule, not only in the land, but one who would rule in the hearts of men. And we know through Scripture that this ultimate judge and ruler is Jesus Christ, the one who has the victory over sin and and the victory over death, and is the only way into the kingdom of God, the true promised land. And and if you repent and receive him by faith, this is guaranteed for you. And so again, I hope that this teaching series um, throughout this book of Judges would be a, a, a helpful tool to see what the book of Judges is all about. Uh, a pointer to the true judge, the true leader that mankind ultimately needs to solve mankind's ultimate problem, which is sin. and we see that this uh, ultimate ruler, this ultimate judge who would br- who would bring ultimate peace is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. And this brings me to point number four and you can see it on your worksheet. point number four, Is what the people of God ultimately need. And so it it can get really depressing really fast when we read the book of Judges without knowing its place in the whole canon of scripture, right? And, And the good news that we ought to see from the book of Judges is not only that the people need a savior, but that God is faithful and will give them a savior. In chapter 2, we're told that God raises up these judges who save them out of the hands of these raiders. You see that in uh, chapter 2, 16. Yet the judges could only save some of the people from some of the raiders at only a specific time. What they needed was something far more powerful. And honestly, they needed something far more permanent. And this is what God has provided in Christ. Not only for the Israelites, but for the whole world, those who uh, believe. And this is what the whole Old Testament is really about, uh, if if you think about it. It constantly points us forward to man's ultimate need, which is a Savior. And even though throughout biblical history, many have come to bring temporal deliverances, and they, yet they were merely pointers uh, of our ultimate need, which is deliverance from ourselves and to show our ultimate deliverer, deliver, which is Jesus Christ, the Lord of Lord and King of Kings. Look at this promise that we see in Jeremiah 23, verse 5. It says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord. When I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king, and deal wisely, and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. And you'll see uh, several chapters later, the Lord says, I will lead them beside streams of water on a level path, will they will not stumble. He who scattered Israel will gather them and will watch over his flock like a shepherd. You see that in Jeremiah 31 verses 9 through 10. And then of course centuries later we see Jesus telling his disciples that he would be the Savior, the leader, the judge that they need. Uh, We see this in John 10, 14, 15 where he says I this is Jesus Christ I am the I am the good shepherd I know my own and my own know me just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep And then look at John 10:27 through 28 And look at what Jesus says. He says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. So, where many rulers and judges have failed, we see through these verses that we read, that Jesus Christ succeeds in this task. And not only will we receive the blessing of peace and fellowship with our ruler, but a peace and a fellowship that's for eternity. And this is what's secured for us in Christ. He gives us eternal life and promises that in His rule, none who are in Him will perish and none will be snatched out of His hands. This is eternal security. And that truth so it calls us all to live, and, and, and live a life of worship and live a life of thanksgiving unto the Lord and, and praise God for his provision through Christ, right? And so as I conclude, uh, as we get into this study more throughout the next few weeks, I pray that it would serve as a reminder that our greatest need, again, is not met through any temporary rulers or any temporary means. Nor is hope and change met through the next presidential election. <laughs> Even though we ought to pray for God's help and grace for the future of our country, but our greatest need is an eternal one that only the great judge, Jesus Christ, can meet. So let us honor the true judge as his people by placing our hope in Him alone. Amen. Amen. Any uh, questions or comments? Any thoughts? All right. Let me pray. Oh, Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for this book the book of Judges, and we we just pray that you would help us as we get into this teaching series um, to understand uh, each event um, and help us to see what it points to, our greatest need, the reality of ourselves as sinful people who constantly rebel against you. And we see this through the life of Israel as a nation. But also our greatest need for a true judge, a true leader, one that would never fail, one that when he dies, uh, it's over, but but one that we see in Jesus Christ, Lord, one who died and resurrected, one who beats sin and death, the one that fulfills uh, all the tasks of any king or priest or judge. Uh, but does it in the ultimate sense, saving us from ourselves and also being the fulfillment of Israel as a people. Jesus Christ, the ultimate and true Israel, the one who never failed and lived sinless. And the one that does promise to bring us into the true promised land which is the new heavens and the new earth. Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ. And thank you for this testimony, this historical book that we have, um, this book of Judges, Lord. Help us to understand it. Help us to meditate on these things. And and, uh, help it to be a reminder of our true King, Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for this. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.